Section 10 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1893-1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. State of the Union Address. Grover Cleveland, December 7, 1896. Part 1. To the Congress of the United States. As representatives of the people in the legislative branch of their government, you have assembled at a time when the strength and excellence of our free institutions and the fitness of our citizens to enjoy popular rule have been again made manifest. A political contest involving momentous consequences, fraught with feverish apprehension, and creating aggressiveness so intense is to approach bitterness and passion, has been waged throughout our land, and determined by the decrees of free and independent suffrage, without disturbance of our tranquillity, or the least sign of weakness in our national structure. When we consider these incidents, and contemplate the peaceful obedience and manly submission which have succeeded a heated clash of political opinions, we discover abundant evidence of a determination on the part of our countrymen to abide by every verdict of the popular will and to be controlled at all times by an abiding faith in the agencies established for the direction of the affairs of their government. Thus our people exhibit a patriotic disposition, which entitles them to demand of those who undertake to make and execute their laws such faithful and unselfish service in their behalf as can only be prompted by a serious appreciation of the trust and confidence which the acceptance of public duty invites. In obedience to a constitutional requirement, I herein submit to the Congress certain information concerning national affairs, with the suggestion of such legislation as in my judgment is necessary and expedient. To secure brevity and avoid tiresome narration, I shall omit many details concerning matters within federal control, which, though by no means unimportant, are more profitably discussed in departmental reports. I shall also further curtail this communication by omitting a minute recital of many minor incidents connected with our foreign relations, which have heretofore found a place in executive messages, but are now contained in a report of the Secretary of State, which is herewith submitted. At the outset of a reference to the more important matters affecting our relations with foreign powers, it would afford me satisfaction if I could assure the Congress that the disturbed condition in Asiatic Turkey had during the past year assumed a less hideous and bloody aspect, and that, either as a consequence of the awakening of the Turkish government to the demands of humane civilization, or as the result of decisive action on the part of the great nations having the right by treaty to interfere for the protection of those exposed to the rage of mad bigotry or cruel fanaticism, the shocking features of the situation had been mitigated. Instead, however, of welcoming a softened disposition or protective intervention, we have been afflicted by continued 
and not unfrequent reports of the wanton destruction of homes and the bloody butchery of men women and children made martyrs to their profession of christian faith while none of our citizens in turkey have thus far been killed or wounded though often in the midst of dreadful scenes of danger their safety in the future is by no means assured our government at home and our minister at constantinople have left nothing undone to protect our missionaries in ottoman territory who constitute nearly all the individuals residing there who have a right to claim our protection on the score of american citizenship our efforts in this direction will not be relaxed but the deep feeling and sympathy that have been aroused among our people ought not to so far blind their reason and judgment as to lead them to demand impossible things the outbreaks of the blind fury which lead to murder and pillage in turkey occur suddenly and without notice and an attempt on our part to force such a hostile presence there as might be effective for prevention or protection would not only be resisted by the ottoman government but would be regarded as an interruption of their plans by the great nations who assert their exclusive right to intervene in their own time and method for the security of life and property in turkey several naval vessels are stationed in the mediterranean as a measure of caution and to furnish all possible relief and refuge in case of emergency we have made claims against the turkish government for the pillage and destruction of missionary property at harput and marash during uprisings at those places thus far the validity of these demands has not been admitted though our minister prior to such outrages and in anticipation of danger demanded protection for the persons and property of our missionary citizens in the localities mentioned and notwithstanding that strong evidence exists of actual complicity of turkish soldiers in the work of destruction and robbery the facts as they now appear do not permit us to doubt the justice of these claims and nothing will be omitted to bring about their prompt settlement a number of armenian refugees having arrived at our ports an order has lately been obtained from the turkish government permitting the wives and children of such refugees to join them here it is hoped that hereafter no obstacle will be interposed to prevent the escape of all those who seek to avoid the perils which threaten them in turkish dominions our recently appointed consul to erzerum is at his post and discharging the duties of his office though for some unaccountable reason his formal exequatur from the sultan has not been issued i do not believe that the present sombre prospect in turkey will be long permitted to offend the sight of christendom it so mars the humane and enlightened civilization that belongs to the close of the nineteenth century that it seems hardly possible that the earnest demand of good people throughout the christian world for its corrective treatment will remain unanswered the insurrection in cuba still continues with all its perplexities it is difficult to perceive that any progress has thus far been made 
toward the pacification of the island, or that the situation of affairs as depicted in my last annual message has in the least improved. If Spain still holds Havana and the seaports and all the considerable towns, the insurgents still roam at will over at least two-thirds of the island country. If the determination of Spain to put down the insurrection seems but to strengthen with the lapse of time and is evinced by her unhesitating devotion of largely increased military and naval forces to the task, there is much reason to believe that the insurgents have gained in point of numbers and character and resources and are none the less inflexible in their resolve not to succumb without practically securing the great objects for which they took up arms. If Spain has not yet re-established her authority, neither have the insurgents yet made good their title to be regarded as an independent state. Indeed, as the contest has gone on the pretense that several government exists on the island, except so far as Spain is able to maintain it, has been practically abandoned. Spain does keep on foot such a government, more or less imperfectly, in the large towns, in their immediate suburbs. But that exception being made, the entire country is either given over to anarchy or is subject to the military occupation of one or the other party. It is reported, indeed, on reliable authority that at the demand of the commander-in-chief of the insurgent army, the putative Cuban government has now given up all attempt to exercise its functions, leaving that government, confessedly, what there is the best reason for supposing it always to have been in fact, a government merely on paper. Were the Spanish armies able to meet their antagonists in the open or in pitched battle, prompt and decisive results might be looked for, and the immense superiority of the Spanish forces in numbers, discipline, and equipment could hardly fail to tell greatly to their advantage. But they are called upon to face a foe that shuns general engagements, that can choose and does choose its own ground, that from the nature of the country is visible or invisible at pleasure, and that fights only from ambuscade, and when all the advantages of position and numbers are on its side. In a country where all that is indispensable to life, in the way of food, clothing, and shelter, is so easily obtainable, especially by those born and bred on the soil, it is obvious that there is hardly a limit to the time during which hostilities of this sort may be prolonged. Meanwhile, as in all cases of protracted civil strife, the passions of the combatants grow more and more inflamed, and excesses on both sides become more frequent and more deplorable. They are also participated in by bands of marauders, who now in the name of one party, and now in the name of the other, as may best suit the occasion, harry the country at will, and plunder its wretched inhabitants for their own advantage. Such a condition of things would inevitably entail immense destruction of property, even if it were the policy of both parties to prevent it, as far as practicable. But while such seemed to be the original policy of the Spanish government, 
it has now apparently abandoned it and is acting upon the same theory as the insurgents namely that the exigencies of the contest require the wholesale annihilation of property that it may not prove of use and advantage to the enemy it is to the same end that in pursuance of general orders spanish garrisons are now being withdrawn from plantations and the rural population required to concentrate itself in the towns the sure result would seem to be that the industrial value of the island is fast diminishing and that unless there is a speedy and radical change in existing conditions it will soon disappear altogether that value consists very largely of course in its capacity to produce sugar a capacity already much reduced by the interruptions to tillage which have taken place during the last two years it is reliably asserted that should these interruptions continue during the current year and practically extend as is now threatened to the entire sugar-producing territory of the island so much time and so much money will be required to restore the land to its normal productiveness that it is extremely doubtful if capital can be induced to even make the attempt the spectacle of the utter ruin of an adjoining country by nature one of the most fertile and charming on the globe would engage the serious attention of the government and people of the united states in any circumstances in point of fact they have a concern with it which is by no means of a wholly sentimental or philanthropic character it lies so near to us as to be hardly separated from our territory our actual pecuniary interest in it is second only to that of the people and government of spain it is reasonably estimated that at least from thirty million dollars to fifty million dollars of american capital are invested in plantations and in railroad mining and other business enterprises on the island the volume of trade between the united states and cuba which in eighteen eighty nine amounted to sixty four million dollars rose in nineteen eighty three to about one hundred and three million dollars and in eighteen ninety four the year before the present insurrection broke out amounted to nearly ninety six million dollars besides this large pecuniary stake in the fortunes of cuba the united states finds itself inextricably involved in the present context in other ways both vexatious and costly many cubans reside in this country and indirectly promote the insurrection through the press by public meetings by the purchase and shipment of arms by the raising of funds and by other means which the spirit of our institutions and the tenor of our laws do not permit to be made the subject of criminal prosecutions some of them though cubans at heart and in all their feelings and interests have taken out papers as naturalized citizens of the united states a proceeding resorted to with a view to possible protection by this government and not unnaturally regarded with much indignation by the country of their origin the insurgents are undoubtedly encouraged and supported by the widespread sympathy the people of this country always and instinctively feel for every struggle for better and freer government and which in the case of the more adventurous and restless elements of our population 
leads in only too many instances to active and personal participation in the contest. The result is that this government is constantly called upon to protect American citizens, to claim damages for injuries to persons and property, now estimated at many millions of dollars, and to ask explanations and apologies for the acts of Spanish officials whose zeal for the repression of rebellion sometimes blinds them to the immunities belonging to the unoffending citizens of a friendly power. It follows from the same causes that the United States is compelled to actively police a long line of seacoast against unlawful expeditions, the escape of which the utmost vigilance will not always suffice to prevent. These inevitable entanglements of the United States with the rebellion in Cuba, the large American property interests affected, and considerations of philanthropy and humanity in general, have led to a vehement demand in various quarters for some sort of positive intervention on the part of the United States. It was at first proposed that belligerent rights should be accorded to the insurgents, a proposition no longer urged because untimely and in practical operation, dearly perilous and injurious to our own interests. It has since been and is now sometimes contended that the independence of the insurgents should be recognized. But imperfect and restricted as the Spanish government of the island may be, no other exists there, unless the will of the military officer in temporary command of a particular district can be dignified as a species of government. It is now also suggested that the United States should buy the island, a suggestion possibly worthy of consideration, if there were any evidence of a desire or willingness on the part of Spain to entertain such a proposal. It is urged, finally, that all other methods failing, the existing intercenine strife in Cuba should be terminated by our intervention, even at the cost of war between the United States and Spain, a war which its advocates confidently prophesy could neither be large in its proportions nor doubtful in its issue. The correctness of this forecast need be neither affirmed nor denied. The United States has nevertheless a character to maintain as a nation which plainly dictates that right and not might should be the rule of its conduct. Further, though the United States is not a nation to which peace is a necessity, it is in truth the most pacific of powers, and desires nothing so much as to live in amity with all the world. Its own ample and diversified domains satisfy all possible longings for territory, preclude all dreams of conquest, and prevent any casting of covetous eyes upon neighboring regions, however attractive. That our conduct toward Spain and her dominions has constituted no exception to this national disposition, is made manifest by the course of our government, not only thus far during the present insurrection, but during the ten years that followed the rising at Yara in 1868. No other great power, it may safely be said, 
under circumstances of similar perplexity, would have manifested the same restraint and the same patient endurance. It may also be said that this persistent attitude of the United States toward Spain, in connection with Cuba, unquestionably evinces no slight respect and regard for Spain on the part of the American people. They, in truth, do not forget her connection with the discovery of the Western Hemisphere, nor do they underestimate the great qualities of the Spanish people, nor fail to fully recognize their splendid patriotism and their chivalrous devotion to the national honor. They view with wonder and admiration the cheerful resolution with which vast bodies of men are sent across thousands of miles of ocean and an enormous debt accumulated that the costly possession of the gem of the Antilles may still hold its place in the Spanish crown. And yet neither the government nor the people of the United States have shut their eyes to the course of events in Cuba, or have failed to realize the existence of conceded grievances which have led to the present revolt from the authority of Spain grievances recognized by the Queen Regent and by the Cortes, voiced by the most patriotic and enlightened of Spanish statesmen, without regard to party, and demonstrated by reforms proposed by the executive and approved by the legislative branch of the Spanish government. It is in the assumed temper and disposition of the Spanish government to remedy these grievances, fortified by indications of influential public opinion in Spain, that this government has hoped to discover the most promising and effective means of composing the present strife with honor and advantage to Spain and with the achievement of all the reasonable objects of the insurrection. It would seem that if Spain should offer to Cuba genuine autonomy, a measure of home rule which, while preserving the sovereignty of Spain, would satisfy all rational requirements of her Spanish subjects, there should be no just reason why the pacification of the island might not be effected on that basis. Such a result would appear to be in the true interest of all concerned. It would at once stop the conflict, which is now consuming the resources of the island and making it worthless for whichever party may ultimately prevail. It would keep intact the possessions of Spain without touching her honor, which will be consulted rather than impugned, by the adequate redress of admitted grievances. It would put the prosperity of the island and the fortunes of its inhabitants within their own control without severing the natural and ancient ties which bind them to the mother country, and would yet enable them to test their capacity for self-government under the most favorable conditions. It has been objected on the one side that Spain should not promise autonomy, until her insurgent subjects lay down their arms. On the other side, that promised autonomy, however liberal, is insufficient because without assurance of the promise being fulfilled. But the reasonableness of a requirement by Spain of unconditional surrender on the part of the insurgent Cubans before their autonomy is conceded is not altogether apparent. It ignores important features of the situation. The stability, two years' duration, has given to the insurrection. The feasibility of its indefinite prolongation in the nature of things, and, as shown by past experience, the utter and 
imminent ruin of the island, unless the present strife is speedily composed. Above all, the rank abuses which all parties in Spain, all branches of her government, and all her leading public men concede to exist and profess a desire to remove. Facing such circumstances to withhold the proffer of needed reforms, until the parties demanding them put themselves at mercy by throwing down their arms, has the appearance of neglecting the gravest of perils and inviting suspicion as to the sincerity of any professed willingness to grant reforms. The objection on behalf of the insurgents that promised reforms cannot be relied upon, must of course be considered, though we have no right to assume and no reason for assuming that anything Spain undertakes to do for the relief of Cuba will not be done according to both the spirit and the letter of the undertaking. Nevertheless, realizing that suspicions and precautions on the part of the weaker of the two combatants are always natural and not always unjustifiable being sincerely desirous in the interest of both as well as on its own account that the cuban problem should be solved with the least possible delay it was intimated by this government to the government of spain some months ago that if a satisfactory measure of home rule were tendered to the cuban insurgents and would be accepted by them upon a guarantee of its execution the United States would endeavor to find a way, not objectionable to Spain, of furnishing such guarantee. While no definite response to this intimation has yet been received from the Spanish government, it is believed to be not altogether unwelcome. As already suggested, no reason is perceived why it should not be approved by the insurgents. Neither party can fail to see the importance of early action, and both must realize that to prolong the present state of things for even a short period will add enormously to the time and labor and expenditure necessary to bring about the industrial recuperation of the island. It is therefore fervently hoped on all grounds that earnest efforts for healing the breach between Spain and the insurgent Cubans upon the lines above indicated may be at once inaugurated and pushed to an immediate and successful issue. The friendly offices of the United States, either in the manner above outlined or in any other way consistent with our Constitution and laws, will always be at the disposal of either party. Whatever circumstances may arise, our policy and our interests would constrain us to object to the acquisition of the island, or in interference with its control by any other power. It should be added that it cannot be reasonably assumed that the hitherto expectant attitude of the United States will be indefinitely maintained, while we are anxious to accord all due respect to the sovereignty of Spain, we cannot view the pending conflict in all its features and properly apprehend our inevitably close relations to it and its possible results without considering that by the course of events we may be drawn into such an unusual and unprecedented condition as will fix a limit to our patient waiting for Spain to end the contest, either alone and in her own way, or with our friendly cooperation.
while the inability of spain to deal successfully with the insurrection has become manifest and it is demonstrated that her sovereignty is extinct in cuba for all purposes of its rightful existence and when a hopeless struggle for its re-establishment has degenerated into a strife which remains nothing more than the useful sacrifice of human life and the utter destruction of the very subject matter of the conflict a situation will be presented in which our obligations to the sovereignty of spain will be superseded by higher obligations which we can hardly hesitate to recognize and discharge deferring the choice of ways and methods until the time for action arrives we should make them depend upon the precise conditions then existing and they should not be determined upon without giving careful heed to every consideration involving our honor and interest or the international duty we owe to spain until we face the contingencies suggested or the situation is by other incidents imperatively changed we should continue in the line of conduct heretofore pursued thus in all circumstances exhibiting our obedience to the requirements of public law and our regard for the duty enjoined upon us by the position we occupy in the family of nations a contemplation of emergencies that may arise should plainly lead us to avoid their creation either through a careless disregard of present duty or even an undue stimulation and ill-time expression of feeling but i have deemed it not amiss to remind the congress that a time may arrive when a correct policy and care for our interests as well as regard for the interests of other nations and their citizens joined by considerations of humanity and a desire to see a rich and fertile country immediately related to us saved from complete devastation will constrain our government to such action as will subserve the interests thus involved and at the same time promise to cuba and its inhabitants an opportunity to enjoy the blessings of peace the venezuelan boundary question has ceased to be a matter of difference between great britain and the united states their respective governments having agreed upon the substantial provisions of a treaty between great britain and venezuela submitting the whole controversy to arbitration the provisions of the treaty are so eminently just and fair that the assent of venezuela thereto may confidently be anticipated negotiations for a treaty of general arbitration for all differences between great britain and the united states are far advanced and promise to reach a successful consummation at an early date the scheme of examining applicants for certain consular positions to test their competency and fitness adopted under an executive order issued on the twentieth of september eighteen ninety five has fully demonstrated the usefulness of this innovation in connection with this plan of examination promotions and transfers of deserving incumbents have been quite extensively made with excellent results during the past year thirty-five appointments have been made in the consular service twenty-seven of which were made to fill vacancies caused by death or resignation or to supply newly created posts two to succeed incumbents removed for cause two 
for the purpose of displacing alien consular officials by American citizens, and four, merely changing the official title of incumbent from commercial agent to consul. Twelve of these appointments were transfers or promotions from other positions under the Department of State. Four of those appointed had rendered previous service under the Department. Eight were made of persons who passed a satisfactory examination. Seven were appointed to places not included in the order of September 20, 1895, and for appointments, as above stated, involved no change of incumbency. The inspection of consular offices provided for by an appropriation for that purpose at the last session of the Congress has been productive of such wholesome effects that I hope this important work will in the future be continued. I know of nothing that can be done with the same slight expense so improving to the service. I desire to repeat the recommendation contained in my last annual message in favor of providing at public expense official residences for our ambassadors and ministers at foreign capitals. The reasons supporting this recommendation are strongly stated in the report of the Secretary of State, and the subject seems of such importance that I hope it may receive the early attention of the Congress. We have, during the last year, labored faithfully and against unfavorable conditions to secure better preservation of sea life in the Bering Sea. Both the United States and Great Britain have lately dispatched commissioners to these waters to study the habits and condition of the seal herd and the causes of their rapid decrease. Upon the reports of these commissioners, soon to be submitted, and with the exercise and patience and good cause on the part of all interested parties, it is earnestly hoped that hearty cooperation may be secured for the protection against threatened extinction of seal life in the northern Pacific and Bering Sea. End of section 10.